Hi, everybody. I'm a real alcoholic. My name's Harmon. Um, with an introduction like that, I can hardly wait to hear what I have to say, Greg. Thank you for those uh, kind words. Um, I'm going to move this stuff around for the time being, because if not, I'll be playing with it, and I'll be more distracting than all already. Um, I want to echo what you said about uh, putting this on. I think everybody that uh, talks at one of these should have the blessing or the curse to, to, to put that on. How I can say that is... Uh, in Akron, Ohio, that's where I'm from, we have an annual celebration called Founders Day, and God's blessed me with the uh, uh, opportunity to uh, be involved with that for the last 10 years, and it is a life-changing event, and you guys that are involved with this, uh, you know, keep it up. I mean, what you're doing is just, uh, it's just a great thing, and it just doesn't happen by itself. And let's give them one more round of applause and thank you. I'm... Uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, start with a prayer. I know uh, the, the theme of this is spiritual in nature, and I'm going to give you the uh, real alcoholic serenity prayer, and uh, if your sponsor's not here, take it back to him or her, but don't tell them where you got it from, and it goes like this. Prayer for the day. So, God, Dear God, so far today I've done all right. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been grumpy, nasty, or selfish. But in a few minutes, God, I'm going to get out of bed, and that's what I'm going to need all help I can get. Amen. Now, if you're a real alcoholic, you're going to understand that, 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 that prayer because uh, um, that's what we're going to be uh, talking about is about alcoholism and not so much uh, about drinking. And, John, God, what a, what a great job uh, you did. Now, you really clarified a lot of things uh, for me. Now I know why I woke up every morning and I had aches and pains and so on and so forth. And uh, another thing that you clarified for me, too, was also... Uh, why uh, she probably didn't let me die because I was always behind on my life insurance and she could have never collected that if I would have died. And uh, I, I tell you what, too, is, as far as identifying the alcoholic with the uh, uh, bathrobe and, and the coffee and the cigarettes, um, I would have never guessed. I always thought maybe it was my black eyes, my teeth getting kicked down my throat and, you know, the handcuffs and so on and so forth. But here to tell you, I did get rid of the bathrobe and I did get rid of the cigarettes, but I'm still drinking coffee. So uh, it was just uh, really, really enlightening. And another thing that... Uh, uh, I learned today, too, is maybe I'm in the uh, wrong fellowship. If I can find meetings where there's 29 girls and one guy, man, maybe I'm going to the wrong place. But just uh, you did a uh, you did a just a, a crackerjack job, and uh, I want to thank you. And and I uh, uh, was kind of coerced. My wife said uh, she made me promise. She goes, "You're not going to do any Al-Anon jokes." And I said. All right, I promise. And she goes, you're lying to me. I said, how do you know I'm lying? She goes, if your lips are moving, you're lying. So you can tell that she's, uh, she's involved with this uh, uh, fellowship and the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, uh, I need to uh, thank her and uh, our uh, oldest daughter to, uh, for coming up, making a, making a special trip. And, uh, you know, talking about the uh, fellowship of uh, Al-Anon, I've got the uh, utmost respect. I think it was Chris earlier. All you Alanons, I want you to know, if it wasn't for us alcoholics, you wouldn't be where you're at today. So you still, still uh, a, a debt of, uh, of gratitude. And also another thing, John, one last thing I want to get was the name and numbers of those two ministers that told you that the wife should be submissive to the man. Well, we'll get together afterwards. And uh, like I said, just, just, just a great story. You, you, you touched my heart, and, and it's going to be hard to follow up. But, uh, you know, talking about the... Uh, Fellowship of uh, Al-Anon, uh, I've got the utmost respect and uh, just, uh, my God, what, uh, what the people go through, what, what the alcoholic puts the family through is just unbelievable. And I know why us alcoholics always make fun of Al-Anons, and if you guys don't, you alcoholics don't agree with this, I'm going to let you in it 
really deep down inside we're jealous because we want to die, we want to be reincarnated and come back as an al that way we can drink all we want and work the 12 steps. Now, is that what you want or what? Yeah. So, all you, all you alcoholics that are teasing the al you better get down to the heart of the matter. And I, and I, know, that, I know that's true. There, there, there's no doubt in my mind about that. Uh, uh, did a little bit of research uh, on that. And, and also... Another little story about the Al-Anon and the alcoholic, and I have to bring this up, is uh, you Al-Anons, be careful what you tell the alcoholic because we take things at face value and we'll follow things literally very, very direct and precise. I, it reminds me of the story about this alcoholic that was out in the yard. He was trying to fly a kite with a kid, and uh, he would run and the thing would fall down and run and fall down and wasn't, wasn't going to go up. It wasn't going to fly. The Al-Anon wife yells out the kitchen. She goes, you're never going to get... You're never going to get that kite to fly. You need some more tail. The alcoholic says, make up your mind. Last night I asked you for some tail. You told me to go fly a kite. So be very careful what you tell the alcoholic. Be very, very, very careful. And one last uh, story about what the Al-Anon alcoholic may do, uh, and, and this is one of my favorite stories, and we'll, we'll stop there <laughs> before we uh, uh, get going too much. There was a... Uh, Alanon and an AA, and they were involved in a car accident, really bad accident. And you know, as it as it turns out, uh, the Alanon died. And she goes up to the pearly gates in St. Peter's there and pulls out the list and says, "Oh, you know, she says you won't have a problem getting in here. You put up with that alcoholic and what you went through. You earned your wings and to heaven a long time ago. And it's really easy to get in here. All you have to do is spell one word, and your life." exemplified what that word was, and that word was love. And of course, she knew how to spell it L O V E and and she goes, and then St. Peter had to take care of something, and he goes to the Al-9. All right, you know what the drill is. The next person that comes up here, pull their sheet out, and if they're worthy of it, give them the simple test, and they're in. And lo and behold, the alcoholic who was driving the car took a turn for worse, and he died. And now St. Peter's in the back, and his wife, the Al-9, is sitting there with a list, and lo and behold, the husband comes up, and he goes, oh, I'm so glad to see you. I can't wait to come in. And she says, oh, it's beautiful. You should see it, so on and so forth. And she says, honey, it's real easy to get in here. All you have to do is spell one word. And he thought, the alcoholic, pretty smart guy, he says, that won't be a problem. I'll be able to do that real easy. And she goes, yeah, the world is Czechoslovakia. So all you alcoholics, all you alcoholics that think you're getting to heaven, you better check with your Al-Anon first. That's why I always carry my uh, Webster's Dictionary with me. I want to uh, actually start with the, with the prayer uh, just got this not too long ago, and it goes like this. Lord, take me where you want me to go. Lord, let me meet who you want me to meet. Lord, tell me what you want me to say. And Lord, keep me out of your way. Amen. And they told me from the beginning to do my best and let God do the rest and let the story be mine and let the words be thine. But I really know that this story isn't uh, about uh, me. It's about alcohol. It's about alcoholism. It's about Alcoholics Anonymous. And it's about God. And uh, I just happen to fall in between the uh, lines. And I want to thank Mark again for asking me for four reasons. Um, number one, it's a sense of duty to do anything for Alcoholics Anonymous. If I can, I better do it. Uh, number two, I enjoy kind of this, doing this thing, and that kind of sounds twisted in itself. Uh, number three, this is one way I can uh, pay back the people who took time out of their lives to carry the message of Alcoholics Anonymous to me. And fourth, the most important, and of course the most selfish, is this is one way I can pay on that insurance premium against taking the first drink. Because I believe what the big book says, we're not cured of alcoholism. What we have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Other than doing something for the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, living the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, the 12 steps is how I find, for me, I can stay spiritually fit. And, you know, my daughter asked me if I was uh, 
was nervous and I said I wasn't doing too bad um, before uh, uh, I got up here and uh, ran into a couple people from Adrian and God bless them and you know it's, uh, they come down to Founders Day every year and we've uh, been able to establish a friendship and relationship and you know I saw them from the beginning and they go I'm so grateful and I said I am so grateful too and I saw them about 15 minutes later up by the coffee pot and they go I'm so grateful and I said I am so grateful too right before I was getting ready to get up there I saw them one more time and they said I'm so grateful and I said what are you so grateful for and they go, I'm not as ugly as you. So I don't know. I was doing all right. I was doing all right. But now I knew I was right where I was supposed to be. And this is, like I said, uh, this is where God wants us to be this, this morning. And hopefully the story in uh, how it works where we uh, come from in uh, Akron, we talk about the three pertinent ideas. A, that I was alcoholic and couldn't manage my life. B, that probably no human power could relieve my alcoholism. And C, most importantly, that God could and would if he were sought. ABCs of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, but I also need to talk about the ABCs of the fellowship, and that's for the ones that have been around, and I guess you guys still got a, a place here. The A for the ashtrays, whether you smoked or not, you got them out, you put them out, and when you're done with the meeting, you wash them and you put them away. The B were for the brooms, you swept up before, you swept up after, and you stayed there, and obviously the C's were the chairs, you got them out and you put them away, and the ABCs of the fellowship and the ABCs of the program. Distinct difference between the program and the fellowship, and uh, you know, I need the combination of both. I found for me for uh, contented uh, emotional sobriety, I guess we'll call it. And I guess Bill kind of sums it up in, in, in a way. I'm going to paraphrase him. Paraphrase him. He says, "A's twelve steps are a group of principles, spiritual in nature, which, if practiced as a way of life, can expel the obsession to drink and enable the sufferer to be happily and usefully whole." And that's all I was looking for in life was how to be happily and usefully whole. And John talked about he got uh, in Alan as a, as a relationship problem. I got into AA with a relationship problem. My relationship with alcohol or lack of it and, of course, my lack of relationship with myself, my God, and my fellow man. In other words, I didn't know how to do this thing called life. And uh, I introduced myself as a real alcoholic of the hopeless variety. Uh, I need to know what I am, and that's all I am, and that's a real alcoholic. And the big book does a good job of describing that, and I'm not going to tell you what page. That's uh, for your fun and frolic to uh, find out and, I guess, put the duck feathers on the duck, but I need to know what I am. I need to know this thing called alcoholism, what it is and isn't. You know, he talks about having a message that ha carries depth and weight. Okay, if that message is going to have depth and weight, I better know what alcoholism is, I better know what it isn't, and certainly I better know what the treatment for alcoholism is. Because, see, I know either today I'm carrying the message of Alcoholics Anonymous or I'm infecting it. Either I'm carrying recovery or else I'm carrying the disease. And uh, there's a lot of this going around AA. I call it SS, something similar. It ain't AA. And I had a lot of good teachers that taught me from the beginning. I had a lot of teachers that taught me from the beginning. If it ain't in the book, then it's not in AA. And, you know, uh, a lot of people have... Uh, I've uh, been saying how AA's changing and so on and so forth, and I've been blessed to be around some of the old-timers in the Akron area, and I've done a little unofficial survey, and I said, give me uh, the two biggest uh, differences between when you came in to Alcoholics Anonymous and today. And the first one that they concurrently agreed on is says when they came in, the girls used to wear earrings and the boys had tattoos, now it's switched around. I said, okay, I'll give you that. And then another one, they said when they came in, they had to check their pistols and their knives at the door. Now we have to turn off our cell phones and beepers. So I don't know. You be the judge. I guess I'll have to take their word for it. But I know the alcoholic of my short, uh, hopeless variety, and that's what I'm going to talk about. Our stories disclose in a general way what we used to be like, what happened, and what we're like now. A lot of people talk about our stories disclose what it was like and what, what happened, what it's like now. I don't know what book that's coming out of, but the stories that we disclose are what we were like. 
I need to talk about alcoholism and not so much about drinking. Yeah, drinking is just a symbol, just a symptom of what's the matter with me. Let's get down to the causes and the conditions. Talking about the real alcoholic of my sort, the hopeless variety, and like, like I said, in the chapter, there is a solution. Um, he talks about the moderate drinker, the hard drinker, and what about the real alcoholic. It so happens that there was a moderate hard drinker and a real alcoholic, and they were all in a bar, and uh, they uh, lined up, and they ordered their drinks, and lo and behold, there was a fly in every one of the drinks. The moderate drinker looks down and says, man, I'm going to dives where they're serving alcohol, uh, they're serving drinks, and they've got flies in it. He can get up and leave. He's probably not going to be a real alcoholic unless he really works hard at it. The hard drinker looks down and makes sure nobody's looking at him, picks that fly up and flicks it, and he's going to drink, and he's got to have that drink because he's going to be a real alcoholic if he keeps up. The real alcoholic looks down and sees that fly, and he picks it up and spreads the wing and says, you spit that out or else I'm going to kill you. Now you know what the difference of a real alcoholic is, okay? And that's, that's, uh, that's how I was because, like I said, my drinking came first and foremost to the, the, the uh, doctor's opinion, and the big book tells me it became paramount to anything else. Another story that kind of explains the real alcoholic, in case you, you, you may not be able to identify it or you haven't got into the book on there, um, you know, it was about a wino, and for you ladies, I'll give you a little bit of class to step up, winettes, I know you're a little bit different. Anyhow, there was this wino, he was stumbling down this alley, and he kicks out this bottle, and out comes a genie. And the genie goes, Master, I've been waiting for 20 years to be out of that bottle, I'll grant you three wishes. And the wino scratches his head, and he says, ah, I'll take a bottle of wine that will never be empty. And then lo and behold, in his hand appears this bottle, and he takes a hit and empties about half of it, puts it down, it fills back up, and did it again, the same thing. And the genie goes, Master, you have two more wishes. What's it going to be? And he goes, I'll take two more bottles like that. Now you understand what a real alcoholic is. Because, see, one was too many and a thousand wasn't enough. And what I'm talking about as far as the real alcoholic, what alcoholism is and isn't, is I am bodily and mentally different than my fellow man. And what that is, I've got it, I had it, and I'm going to die with it. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. I am allergic to alcohol, which is an abnormal reaction. When I take a drink, something happens inside of me. Triggers the allergy, he calls it phenomena craving. Once I start drinking, I don't stop till I'm sick, drunk, locked up, in trouble, and all the above. That was from my first drink to my last drink, and I knew that a long time ago, so don't take the first drink, right? But I got something even more powerful than that allergy, and that's that thing in between my ears and my mind, that mental obsession. He tells us we pursue that mental obsession to the gates of insanity and death, and that's truly what I did. And that mental obsession is contrary to everything I know, everything I believe, everything I want, that someday I'm going to be able to control and enjoy my drinking, the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. You call it obsession, illusion, delusion, insanity. They all mean the same thing is, and like I said, the strange mental spot in my mind. So simply my alcoholism is I got a body that can't handle it, but I got a mind that tells me no matter what, it's going to be different next time. I couldn't quit drinking because my mind would believe that lie, that illusion, that delusion, that insanity. And once I started drinking, I couldn't drink successfully because I couldn't stop and I'd drink too much and I'd get in a thing that society calls trouble. You know what goes along with that. So my body was killing my mind. My mind was killing my body. And you know, the thing about this is, is my drinking, I never had a drinking problem. A lot of people get nervous when I say that. And even today, if I had a drinking problem, I would quit drinking and my life would get great. My problems start when I can't drink because I'm restless, irritable, discontent, and the only thing I know that's going to give me ease and comfort are a few drinks, and that's what I drink for. Like I said, to become a part of, I was never okay with me. So simply, I couldn't live in a world with alcohol because when I drank it, I got in too much trouble, but I couldn't live in a world without alcohol because, like I said, I had to drink. I couldn't drink, but I had to drink, and now we're starting to see why I'm powerless over alcohol. And I'm not going to bore you with um, details of uh, of the 17 years of drinking and the headache and the heartache and, and, and the things I need to talk about it. That's um, a uh, 
manifestation of my allergy, a phenomena of craving kicks in and manifestation of an allergy is something that you can see visible symptoms. If you're allergic to uh, fish, you break out with hives and rashes and itches and so on and so forth. My allergy to alcohol, I broke out with an itch for more alcohol. My manifestations were handcuffs, getting beat up, car accidents, getting kicked out of the house and, you know, all those things. So it definitely had signs and symptoms of the disease. But most importantly, it led to the third and the final most important thing of this thing called alcoholism is the spiritual malady. I had a hole in the soul. I had a hole in my soul that the only thing that's going to fill that up is God, but I was trying to do it with alcohol. And like I said, that was the answer, so I thought. But like I said, you know, that uh, answer ended up becoming the problem or ended up becoming what drove me to my knees. And uh, simply that's what my alcoholism is, sick in body, mind, and soul. Allergy, obsession, spiritual malady. And that's my drinking. 17 years of fear, failure, and frustration. Lived from one jackpot to another. The only thing that happened in between these jackpots was uh, the price tags I was willing to give up ever, ever became increasing. And uh, a lot of people say their alcoholism stole this, their alcoholism stole that. Mine didn't steal nothing. I gave it everything that was near and dear to me. My alcoholism is mine. I hear so many stories that so many people are so anonymous about their disease that it ain't even theirs. What I'm trying to say is um, I had a lot of good excuses and kooky reasons why I was an alcoholic. I came from an alcoholic home, and that was one of my favorite excuses. If you had my alcoholic parents, you'd drink the way I did. If you had my childhood, you'd do the things that I did. Quite frankly, it doesn't matter what Mommy and Daddy did to me, for me. It doesn't matter what we had, didn't have. I'm an alcoholic because I drank alcohol too long, too hard, too often. And, you know, I would um, always blame my heritage. I, uh, I'm proud to be Irish, and, you know, anybody that's Irish, we had that uh, Irish virus, the fear of dehydration. We drank everything we could get our hands on. Uh, still got to watch that to this day, and, you know, I, I'm proud to be that. And, uh, like I said, they had a lot of, lot of kooky excuses, uh, uh, a, lot of, a lot of reasons, and, you know, I could say it's too strict of potty training, and I could say it was the birth order, and, out of my alcoholic family, there's five of us, obviously mom and dad, and I have one brother and one sister. Uh, four out of the five are alcoholics, and there's one that's not an alcoholic. I guess there's got to be a loser in every family, but anyhow, <laughs> for all you Al-Anons, <laughs> I, I love that. He's a, he's a great guy. He's my oldest brother, and uh, well, he, <laughs> he's like one of us. He's just missing the drink, that's all. And anyhow, I came from that alcoholic home. And I saw the effects of alcoholism, what it did to my parents, what it did to my brother, what it did to my sister, what it did to myself, and I swore I wasn't going to be like them. The only thing that happened is I became a lot sicker, a lot quicker than my parents ever were. So the point I'm trying to make is everything that we see in Bill's story, everything that we read in the big book, self-knowledge, fear, willpower, the impending things that I have riding on my next drink, I'm a real alcoholic. That's not going to stop me from drinking. And I hear that so many times. People say, well, think the drink through. Dude, if I had the ability to think the drink through, I wouldn't be here. I am powerless over alcohol. And he talks about the crux of the problem of an alcoholic of my sort is I don't have the ability to think the drink through. I'm not going to think it to the divorce court. I'm not going to think it to the penitentiary. I'm not going to think it to the electric chair. I'm not going to think it to the city morgue. All I know is I'm feeling bad. I don't know how to deal with it. Give me a drink and I can live. And that's why, like I said, the strange mental blank spot the real alcoholic has. And I guess, uh, you know, he, uh, he does a good job of describing that. He says the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind. And uh, I guess I'm here to tell you, uh, I've always been my worst enemy and I always will be. My best thinking is what gets me in my worst trouble. And there's no doubt about it that uh, this thing called alcoholism, you know, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it depends where you're at with your sobriety, but whenever you use that word drinking, if you put the word thinking in there, and I tell you what, that fits to it too. And can you imagine that? The great obsession of every abnormal thinker is someday to be able to control and enjoy his thinking. Sign me up, right? That's what I was just started with that, with that prayer on there. But I guess the, the difference between a, uh, 
say, an alcoholic and a non-alcoholic. Uh, I, I love a, 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 a couple stories about how my mind works. And uh, there was this guy who needed a brain transplant. And, you know, um, medical things had come a long way, and it was time to make the final arrangements. And they were picking up the, the brain. So they went up to the, uh, the display room, and they had three glass cases. One had a price tag of 25000 the other fifty, and the other 100000 the guy who was getting the brain says, all right, doc, we're going to go ahead and seal this up. We're going to have the surgery tomorrow. What do I get for 25 grand? And the doctor goes, that's the brains of an attorney. Parts and labor, you can have his brain. The next glass case over was at a price tag of 50000 And the guy goes, that's the doc- brains of a doctor. I knew that guy. He was a successful surgeon. For 50000 you can have his brains, parts, and labor. And the next glass case over there was a price tag of 100000 And the guy goes, all right. 25 for the attorney, 50 for the doctor, what do I get for 100 grand? And the doctor goes, that's brains of an alcoholic. And the guy goes, wait a minute, that don't make any sense. And the doctor goes, oh yeah, it's brand new, it ain't never been used. So that's why I'm saying most of us, most of us will go to our grave with having a whole lot of miles left on our brain. And there's there's no doubt about that. And you know what, I I guess when uh, all these things were happening to me, um, like I said, I didn't have a drinking problem, I had a drinking solution. And I was in a uh, lot of things that are called uh, crises or turmoils, uh, a lot of misdemeanors, a lot of felonies, and got away with most of them. When I got caught, the lip service, I knew what to say to get out of them and so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, I always blame people, places, and things. And even today, my sobriety, when I'm blaming you, I've got one finger pointing out, I've got three fingers pointing back at myself. But, you know, it was never myself, and, of course, it was never my drinking. And, you know... Uh, a lot of people talk about the alcohol being in denial. I'm not qualified to talk about that. The big book doesn't talk about it. But what it talks about is a real alcoholic of my sort. I couldn't differentiate the truth from the false. Okay, I wasn't denying I was an alcoholic. I didn't know that was my world, and I accepted it. The normal drinker won't adjust his morals to his drinking. He will adjust his drinking to his morals. But the real alcoholic goes exactly opposite of that, and you know, there's no doubt about it. But like I said, I, I had a lot of kooky excuses, and you know, blame people and. It was everything but me and my drinking. And it reminds me of a story about this uh, one alcoholic who went to the doctor, and this guy had two badly burned ears. And, and, and the doctor goes, man, what happened to you? And the alcoholic says, well, instead of the fighting chair, the drinking chair. He had a favorite drinking chair, and it was in the uh, family room where his wife used to do the uh, ironing and, and so on and so forth. And he'd get drunk every night, pass out. It was a ritual. And, of course, the phone was in there. She was in the kitchen doing something, and the phone rang, and it woke this guy out of a semi-blackout, whatever the case may be. And he reached over on the table, and instead of grabbing the phone, he grabbed the iron and burned his ear. And the doctor goes, okay, that explains your left ear. What about your right ear? And he goes, that damn fool called back. Now, see, even, <laughs> even, when I got burned, even when I got burned by the same thing, it wasn't my alcohol. It was either her, meaning my boss, or, or my wife, my boss, and God, you know, my childhood. It was everything but me and my drinking. I would go to uh, great lengths to defend... My lifestyle, what I was doing, and even sobriety can do that, you know, and we kind of heard this earlier, you know, I got a lot of faults, but being wrong isn't one of them. Um, I thought I was wrong once, but I was mistaken. It reminds me of this alcoholic cowboy out, out west, and uh, he was, uh, every Saturday afternoon, he'd go to the saloon, and he'd get juiced up, and he'd have fun with the people coming in, so this whole prospector was uh, riding in town, and the alcoholic was doing his thing, and he says to his boys, he says, watch me have some fun with this old man coming in. So this old man comes in, gets off his mule, and starts walking towards the saloon, and the alcoholic cowboy comes out and goes, old man, I bet you can dance. And the old man goes, no, I can't dance. That alcoholic picks up, picks out his six-shooter and fires a shot, and the old man starts dancing, and then he did it. And, of course, the old man counted until the six shots were done. 
turned around, looked at that alcoholic cowboy and reached the back of the mule and got a shotgun pointed up to the alcoholic's uh, face and says, boy, you ever kiss a mule's ass? And the guy goes, no, but I always wanted to. Now, see, what I'm saying is even when all that was happening to me, I always wanted to go to jail. I always wanted to get that fat lip. I always wanted those things to happen. Like I said, I would go to any lengths to defend what I had to do. Anyhow, long and short of that is my drinking was um, 17 years failure and fear, failure and frustration. Uh, lived from one jackpot to another, and you know this is but for the grace of God there go I. And I believe it should be but for the graces because it's an unmerited gift, and obviously we receive thousands of gifts. But more importantly than grace, what I've received is mercy, not getting what I do deserve. Because if I got anything deserved, I wouldn't be here with you. I wouldn't be in the penitentiary. I would have been dead a long time ago. And I guess uh, that's one of the uh, stories or one of the, one of the things in the story is it's not a matter of uh, drinking or not drinking. It's a matter of life and death. And he tells us many times in the book, uh, an alcoholic of my sort, for me to drink is to die. And there's no doubt about it. Uh, not a game. I love to laugh at the alcoholic because we're really, really funny to uh, laugh at in, in nature and uh, uh, I started drinking back in uh, high school uh, because it was the thing to do. Um, I believed I was an alcoholic waiting for a drink to happen, and this makes a lot of people nervous. I believe I was sick before I drank, therefore my drinking didn't make me sick, it made me sicker, and a lot of people get nervous. I had the isms, I had the alcoholisms, I had the isms of alcohol before I took the drink. That was like pouring a, a cup of gas on an already burning fire, but like I said, that was so-called the answer, not the problem. And I swore I was going to party till the day I died, but it ended up being the four horsemen of alcoholism, the terror, the bewilderment, the frustration, and the despair. And I reached the point where I was living to drink and drinking to live, called every shot in my life, told me when to go to bed, who to lie to, who to con, and who to steal. And like I said, look at the fool that I was fooling. Look who I was hurting the most. But the biggest lie that I told myself along this whole incredible journey was I'm not hurting anybody but myself. And that's a lie because anybody that was near and dear to me, I would use and abuse, you know, I would take advantage of. And a lot of people talk about this too, and I, I don't understand that about people enabling them. Uh, Big Book doesn't talk about that. I don't know what that is. Um, I like to call a spade a spade. My people didn't enable me. They loved me. They helped me. I took advantage of them. My alcoholism is mine. Nobody got me sick. Nobody made me sick other than myself. And just like in sobriety, if my alcoholism is mine, he talks about it being a self-imposed crisis. I made myself an alcoholic, but once I became an alcoholic, there was nothing that the great I am could do about it. And it's just like in my sobriety, if I'm waiting for somebody to get well before I get well, it ain't never going to happen. I'm going to end up getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And, you know, like I said, my alcoholism is mine, and if I believe in the disease concept, then I need to be held accountable for everything I said, everything I didn't say, everything I did, everything that I didn't do, because other people that have fatal diseases don't treat society and their loved ones the way I did. And that's just the way it is, and that's why we have the amends process repair equal to or improve and that's why it's never it's a lifetime job and ain't never going to be done and anyhow like I said I, I came from an alcoholic home and that was my type of thinking you know I, you know if you had my luck bad luck and I lived in that fantasy world a world of would have could have should have yeah buts only if and uh, that magical place someday I'll and I think we've all been on vacation I still can get there someday I'll do this someday I'll do that and I was always too broke too sick and too drunk to do it but the fact of the matter was, is I couldn't do anything. I was paralyzed with life unless I had that drink. You know, like I said, you know, it, uh, the, the selfishness, the self-centered, the fear, and I didn't know how to do this thing called life, and that was my uh, so-called answer. So uh, the only thing that really has anything to do with the story from my high school years, other than that alcoholic home, which has just a very small part into it, is I uh, met a uh, beautiful woman I call her Angel the First Degree. I call her my higher power. I ended up marrying that higher power, a great person. Um, 
you know, they say the way to hell is paved with good intentions. Uh, there was something about her and I that, that clicked in high school sweethearts, and we ended up, uh, I ended up getting married. And really, that's the only thing that has to do anything from my uh, formative years other than my drinking and my uh, spiritual sickness. And I moved out away from my parents' house because, like I said, I blamed them for all the way I was. And once I got away from them, I'd be okay. But unfortunately, I took the two biggest problems with me, myself and my drinking. Moved in with uh, three of my drinking buddies, and it was off and running. And I drank my way out of college, got my first DWI, and it was life was nothing but a party. And, uh, you know, like I said, uh, I, I reached a point at the end of my drinking I couldn't imagine life with or without alcohol. But back then, my drinking came first and foremost because that was just the way of, uh, of life was. We decided to get married. Love this gal. And uh, we uh, started setting up house, and we started having uh, kids right away. God bless us with a uh, beautiful family. She was pregnant with our oldest boy even before we were married a year, and uh, there's only five years difference between the oldest girl and the youngest, uh, or the oldest boy and the youngest girl, and you can see I had two isms going back on. I had Catholicism and alcoholism. It seems like every time I came out of a blackout, we were either coming from the hospital or going to a hospital, and we had another baby. So I was a loving drunk. I was a loving drunk, and you see I had a couple of hobbies from the beginning, so you can figure that out. Anyhow, um, looking back on it, I had everything that a man could have possibly wanted. I had a promising career, had a woman that loved me, two healthy boys, two healthy girls, a Chevy station wagon, the little uh, beagle, uh, everything but the white picket fence, and that was on the way, so to speak. But, you know, the fact of the matter was there was alcoholism in that house. I brought it in. And, um, you know, unfortunately, most of us don't have relationships. We took hostages, not by design. That, <clears throat> that's what happened. I never made it to Skid Row physically. That was the next stop. I actually got too sick to get there. But worse than that... For a long period of time, I had skid road in my mind, my mouth, my heart, and in my pockets, and I spread it wherever I went. And it, was, it talks about that in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Nothing suffers more than the home, and there's no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, that's why I said thank God for the Al-Anon family group because, you know, I tell you, 24-7, they lived under siege, didn't know what I was going to be like, what I was going to say, what I was going to do. At least I had a temporary reprieve of a blackout, pass out, maybe not coming home. Those, pe those poor people didn't have that luxury. And... Uh, it became god-awful sick, and you know, that's what's so, uh, talking about the spiritual malady when we reach out and hurt the ones that are our closest, and I did love them with everything I had, everything that I could give, but obviously, you know, uh, it was nowhere near enough, and uh, that would not keep a real alcohol for me to uh, stop drinking. So obviously, the uh, home life was uh, a mess, uh, you know, uh, every type of abuse except physically, verbally, mentally, emotionally, I could, and I did, and I would. Sometimes you can cut deeper with words than you can with a knife, and John talked about that earlier this morning, and uh, that's how it was. The, the uh, life was a uh, battleground. My job uh, in the public, I uh, had a job uh, in sales, and I was coming in late, coming in smelling like a brewery, you know, coming in shaking, uh, you know, and it was just a real mess. And God bless my wife. She would uh, leave the kids with me. She would take the kids. She'd go over to her parents. She'd go over to one of her sisters. My boss would uh, put me on probation, uh, send me home without pay, they were all trying to control my drinking for me, and that, that's what the judges used to do it. Uh, now, down in Akron, we have residential treatment centers or residential jail. I call them Alcatraz because that's where they send all the Alkies. But the, the judge used to say, I'm going to send you to jail or else. And the or else was quit drinking, and she was going to divorce me, and you know, he was going to fire me. But I knew what to tell her. I knew what to tell the judge. I knew what to tell my boss. It's going to be different next time. As soon as I got the monkey off my back, so it was a big, I was off and running. Well, I'm trying to make a real alcoholic of my sort. If you always do what you always did, you always get what you always got, except it's progressive, chronic, always gets worse, never stays the same. And, uh, you know, like I said, uh, you know, uh, everything was uh, hell in a handbasket. Finances, because I wasn't bringing the paycheck home, uh, sometimes part of it, sometimes none of it, people on the streets chasing me. And you know what the deal is. Uh, 
couldn't steal enough, couldn't con enough, couldn't lie enough, and, you know, uh, hospital uh, uh, visits, the emergency room cut-up, stitch-up, car accidents, motorcycle accidents, and, you know, it was just a, uh, a big blur. And I couldn't tell you what year, what week, what month, and quite frankly, it doesn't matter. What the big book talks about, some of us had to be badly mangled, and that's exactly what happened to me. But, you know, when all these uh, things were happening to me, uh, like I said, I always blame people, places, and things. And, you know, even today in my sobriety, when I blame somebody, that word spells B-L-A-M-E, the last two letters, M-E. I suffer from alcoholism, and it's I for I, the S for self, and the M for me. And I know what the isms also stands for is I'm so miserable, untreated sobriety, I call it sobriety. Uh, a lot of this going around AA, the ISM, I sponsor myself. And if you want to see somebody start raving sick, there's a lot of that going around these days. Anyhow, <clears throat> I know what the isms of alcoholism is, is internal spiritual malady. And like I said, I got a hole. I just became sicker and sicker and sicker. And it was just a runaway freight train. Every once in a while, I would be able to differentiate the truth from the false. And that was someday I was going to lose her, that house, that job, that company car, and everything along with it over my drinking. And I said that was okay deep down inside because I couldn't imagine life without alcohol. And like I said, the big book talks about it. I couldn't imagine life with or without alcohol. And it wasn't going to end up uh, becoming a reality. And, you know, I had a lot of kooky excuses for the reason why I drank when all these things were happening. And uh, uh, Greg was looking at the watch earlier. I got an Ohio State watch on. And, uh, you know, uh, that was one of my favorite excuses. I, I'm an avid sports fan. And, you know, I would still be drinking on last year's national championship or, well, the Browns. That's a different story. And the Indians. And, anyhow, I'm sap. I'm happy. I'm sad. I'm glad. It's Arbor Day. It's Valentine's Day. You name it. But the real reason I drank because I wanted to, except at the end, like I said, I lost the power of choice. And a lot of people talk about they choose not to drink today. Textbook of Alcoholics Anonymous says an alcoholic of my sort, I don't have the, the power of choice. And like I said, there'll be a time where I'll have no mental defense against that first drink. And then he takes it to the next level and he really puts the hook in there. And he says, I'll have no effective mental defense against the first drink. And that defense must come from a power greater than myself. Anyhow, the long and short of that is we'll... Uh, Bring you up to, uh, I guess, the beginning of the end, so to speak. This was in 85. We ended up going bankrupt and uh, lost our house, and it was a real shame. I ruined my credit and made myself homeless. The bigger sin about that, it was her house. It was her credit. I ruined it, but the biggest sin at all, it was those four little kids. It was their house. I made them homeless. And to show you how sick I was, I didn't care. Take it a step further. If you're real alcoholic, you're going to understand this. I didn't care that I didn't care. It didn't matter. Wife, son, daughter, mother, brother, father, sister, any type of hopes, any type of dreams, any type of morals, any type of decency, any reason for living at all was gone. I used to say I was living, then I used to say I was existing. Today I know I was dying. I was on my way out. And like I said, and it was just a, a, a sad state of affairs. Anyhow, so we started going from house to house, and the end was near. I got my second DWI, and she was ready to fill in that or else, and that's when I was introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, I went into a treatment center, and uh, God, I love the treatment centers, and God bless them, because that's when I was introduced to this beautiful fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. They told me back then I had to get a sponsor, and I had to get a home group before I got out of there. I asked this guy to be my sponsor, and you know what? Didn't use him. Today I know you can have the best sponsor, best home group in the world, but if you don't use them, they can't help you. Today I know A works if you're working and won't if you don't. Today I know when the pupil's ready, the teacher will appear, me being the pupil, the teacher being God and Alcoholics Anonymous. If I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, if I'm willing to keep my mouth shut, if I'm willing to go at any length, if I'm willing to follow directions, not suggestions, that are in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, if I'm willing to do everything contrary to what my alcoholic ego and my self-will tells me to do. Uh, I didn't stay sober that first time, but it was not a uh, wasted time because I was introduced to this beautiful fellowship. 
I knew it wasn't a cult. I knew that it wasn't religion. I knew this deal was real because I went to some meetings. I saw some people out in the streets that were like me. They were changed. They were different. I could see that. I could feel it. I knew it. But it involves something that ends with a K and is four letters, and it's not what you think. It begins with a W. It involves that word work. I had to work for this thing called sobriety, and quite frankly, I wasn't sick and tired of being sick and tired. I just hadn't had enough. And they gave me some nifty advice. They said, you know, you haven't lost your wife, your kids, your job yet. Y-E-T, you're eligible too. These yets will come true if you drink again. And I said, yeah, yeah. Another thing they said, I've seen a lot of people too smart for A. I've never seen anybody too dumb. All the smart guys like you that have the answers will end up drinking again. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Another thing they said is give A six months your best shot. And if you don't like what you find here, we'll gladly refund the misery. And you know, I told them, yeah, yeah, yeah. I sounded like a beetle, but guess what? They were right. They were right. Um, I laugh about it um, today. Um, they uh, charged me 28000 gave me a big book, and sent me to AA. So I've got a glass case at home that's got a third edition $28,000 book. So I'm, I'm trying to sell it, but nobody uh, has made an offer yet. So we're going we're gonna to keep working on that. But uh, that was a valuable time in my life because I stayed dry after that for six weeks. And they brought my wife in, and they kind of blew my cover because they told her that I had to go to... Uh, these AA meetings, and I said, oh, great, you know, because I, like I said, I, it just, it just wasn't time for me. I wasn't willing to go at any length, and it was just, uh, just was a really, uh, 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 fruitless effort, but, uh, you know, I went to a couple meetings a week, and, uh, I'd, uh, sit in the back, no offense to anybody back there, but I call it the inventory row, because I was taking her inventory, his inventory, everybody but my own. And late, leave early, never used that sponsor, never got a home group, never prayed, never thought about working the program, the 12 steps, never read that big book. And I never did nothing. We hear half measures avail us nothing. I'm here to tell you half measures will avail you something, and that's a big-time drunk, and that's what was happening to me. So everything I prophesied uh, that would happen to me did, and I went into an outpatient uh, treatment time, uh, second time I did that so I wouldn't lose that job and obviously didn't stay sober. And, you know, the first time I did it, I did it so I wouldn't lose her and those kids didn't stay sober. The second time I did it, I did it so I wouldn't lose that job, didn't stay sober. The point I'm trying to make is I can't stay sober for a woman, for a child. I can't stay sober for a house. I can't stay sober for a car, for money, for zip code, for a savings account. I can't stay sober for the threat of losing my own liver. I can't lose, stay sober for the threat of losing my own life in the electric chair. I'm a real alcoholic. Those aren't sufficient reasons. I am going to believe that illusion, that delusion, that lie. It's going to be different next time. So anyhow, the long and short of that was is uh, the great I am, and I know a lot of people talk about having their program. Um, I don't have a program. I'll tell you where my program got me. We're getting up there. If I start thinking I've got a program, then you can buy me my next drink. The great I am, the legend of my own mind, the self-will run riot, uh, however you want to label it. Like I said, I will get myself drunk, the great I am. It's, you know, I suffer from an eye disease, a wee solution in the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. But it got so bad, she finally had to leave for good and take the kids, and I'm sure it was hard because... Uh, Deep down inside, we loved each other with everything we had, but uh, the disease of alcoholism left her no other alternative, and I was not trustworthy to be around those kids. My boss had to fire me. He was a friend of mine. He knew my wife and knew my kids, and I'm sure that was very painful for him, but I was unemployable. I was putting his job in jeopardy and everybody in that company, and the same thing with my wife and the kids. I was literally, I was not trustworthy to be around them. I was cracking up, seeing things, hearing things, and I was just, I was dying, and I was taking them with me. So that's where my program got me, 32 years old, and the body that wouldn't die and the mind that wouldn't live, I was spitting up blood down to 129 pounds. It didn't matter how much I got drunk or how much I drank. I couldn't get drunk and I couldn't get sober. There is such a thing as hell on earth and you don't have to die to get there. I've been there. 
Most people go to church so they don't go to hell. Us alcoholics come to AA so we don't go back to our own living hell. And that's exactly where I was at. And that's when I talk about, uh, when I said at the end I was too sick to get out of Skid Row. I was too sick to get out of that house. I was too sick to go out to AA. And there was nobody left because, like I said, I used and abused them. And like I said, there weren't any enablers. Like I said, I used them all up. And for their own survival, they had to cut me free. Um, it was a uh, pretty bleak time in, in life. And, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about a bottom. Uh, I'm not qualified to talk about it. But what I know is what he talks about, that pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization. And that's where I was at. And I decided that day I was going to die. And uh, I lay down in that bed. And I said the first honest prayer from my head and my heart. And that was the God. And I said, God, please help me. Let me die. Well, I was disappointed the next morning when I woke up. But something happened. Something happened, and uh, today I know what it was, is I made a surrender. It was a crude way to do it, but I met the first requirements for the successful consummation of this program I gave up. I know you've got to surrender to win, you've got to die to live, you've got to suffer to get well, and, of course, you've got to give it away to keep it, you know, the al- alcoholic arithmetic. And don't get me wrong, I was a spiritual giant all these times that were coming up because I knew what to say when I was in the jackpots and, uh, you know, the give me prayers and say, God, help me get me out of this one. I promise I'll never do it again. That worked good. I call God a teabag guy because whenever I was in hot water, I'd call him in like a teabag. He'd get us out and I'd be off and running. Or like your insurance, if you got it paid and you have a claim, you call the guy up and say, handle it. That's how I thought I was with God. Until this day, up to that point in time, I thought his last name was Dammit. And that's when I gave up and I surrendered. And my life's uh, qualified nothing short of uh, thousands of miracles from then until now. Uh, with the time allowing, I'll uh, share the uh, experience, strength, and hope uh, that God has put in my life. And uh, like I said, I don't have a message. It's not my message. It's the message of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's G-O-D. doesn't stand for good early direction. doesn't stand for a group of drunks. It's God. And uh, lack of power is our dilemma. And there's one who's got all power. That one is God. Uh, may you find him now. Bill wanted to say you must find him now. And uh, i got to give the credit where the credit's due, and that's God. Everything I have from uh, the shoes that I'm wearing to every breath I take is, is a gift from God. And I know I'm living on borrowed time. Anyhow, I got in this treatment center with uh, the clothes on my back and the clothes that fit into a duffel bag, and that's where my program got me. And if I take another drink, if I'm lucky, I'll end up back there. Uh, chances are I won't even be that lucky. Anyhow, I had a moment of clarity, true sanity, whatever it was, and I knew it was except God and Alcoholics Anonymous or die. I had everything to gain and nothing to lose. They taught me about that mental obsession, that physical allergy. They said to get on my knees in the morning and ask for a day of sobriety and have that mental obsession be removed. And if I stayed sober that day, get on my knees to say a prayer of thank you, and I still do that to this day. And, you know, I, they taught me about the power of prayer and faith. And I found out something about this God, that God gives us what we need, not what we want. Because here I was, 32 years old, dying from alcoholism, busted, disgusted, couldn't be trusted. But I had a place that was feeding me, clothing me, loving me back to life. And I knew that it had to be God because there was nothing else left. I should have been dead a long time ago. Another spiritual awakening, and I believe for us alcoholics, anytime you can see any part of the truth, much less believe it or feel the truth, that's a spiritual awakening for the alcoholic. And I've figured out where I was at. I was in alcoholic rehab the third time. Why? Because I drank too long, too hard, too often. And the reason was because of the guy in the glass looking back at me. It wasn't her. It wasn't God. It wasn't the bad luck. You know, the poor me, poor me, poor me a drink in the self-pity. I had a moment of clarity. And ladies and gentlemen, it was an ugly sight. And it was the guy looking back at me. And, you know, that's where it started for me. Anyhow, they told me about the power of prayer, and they told me if I believe, I'll receive, and if I doubt, I'll go without, and if I pray, why worry, and if I worry, why pray. 
They told me to give time, time. I didn't get sick overnight. I'm not going to get well overnight. Recovery is a process. It's not an event. They told me the treatments of discovery and the 12 steps of A's recovery. They said, God doesn't shut one door without opening another. And a lot of these things didn't make sense to me, but it actually it was becoming uh, it was going to be revealed to me later on what these things were happening. And he said, uh, don't put a question mark where God's put the period. And I don't know if the alcohol did, I did, or all three of us did, but my life was nothing but a period. I was dying from alcoholism. 32 years old, and I didn't have absolutely nothing. Bill Wilson talks about ego deflation at depth, and that's what it took for me, is, for, like I said, the uh, pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization. It was time for me to uh, leave that treatment center, and I went into a halfway house, and I stayed there 90 days, and uh, that's where I crossed that imaginary line from being dry and to becoming sober. And uh, these guys told me what I needed to hear, not what I wanted to hear. I know the truth will set you free, but it'll bring you pain. They said, uh, you know, uh, there's two things you need to know about God, kid. And I said, yeah, what is it? They said, there is one and you ain't it. And we weren't starting off real good, but little I know when the narrative of the third step, when you make that decision, that's where it was at. And they said, you, uh, you need to change everything about you and you can't do it. That's why you need God, the program, the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. And like I said, they told me what I needed to hear, not what I wanted to hear. And I asked them, how do you stay sober? And they said, H-O-W stands for the Essentials of Recovery in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. The H for the honesty with yourself about your disease. The O for open mind is that maybe somebody in this world knows more than you, and most importantly, what length are you willing to go to to get sober and stay sober? And that's the steps, the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I said, what an order. I can't go through with it. But these guys, uh, like I said, they didn't tell me how to stay sober. They showed me how to stay sober. They said one of the biggest things I had to change was my attitude. I had a chip on my shoulder. I said, they said I had to get the attitude of gratitude, and they taught me a simple prayer, and we say it morning, noon, and night. And it goes like this. Thank you, God, for what you give me. Thank you, God, for what you've taken away. Most of all, thank you, God, for what you've left me. And no matter what happens in my life, no matter what's going on, there's always thank you for what you've given me. Thank you for what you've taken away. Most of all, thank you for what you've left me. And they told me, if you're grateful, which you better be grateful because you ain't going to be sober. If you're not, you're not going to tell me you're grateful. You're going to keep your mouth shut. You're going to do something for somebody, and they're not going to know about it. People will judge you by your actions, not by your words. It's easy to talk to talk, but walking the walk's a lot different. You know, if you're grateful, you're going to keep your mouth shut. People want to see a sermon, not hear one. And well, I tell you what, these guys told me what the time of the day it was. And uh, part of the treatment back then was to go to these AA meetings. And, you know, at the end of the meetings and then back at home, they say, keep coming back. It gets better. And it wasn't getting better because my wife was filling out divorce papers, understandably so. They were just about completed. I picked up the Cleveland Plain dealer. The people I was running with were getting indicted. I thought it was going to filter down to me. I was living on food stamps and welfare or general relief, whatever you want to call it. I had to turn over the halfway house. Wintertime was coming up. I didn't have a job, didn't have money for cigarettes, didn't have a car. I uh, didn't have nothing. Guess what? It wasn't getting better, but something was getting better, and it was me. God was making me better. God was restoring me to sanity, so to speak. Anyhow, <clears throat> if I would have written down everything I would have hoped for or dreamed for my last time in treatment, I would have sold myself short. With God, all things are possible. God is good. God is great. Faith will move a mountain, but you better bring your sponsor, you better bring a home group, and you better bring a shovel, because if you want what we have, you're willing to go at any length, and it takes a lot of action and a lot of work. They said, it's not what you know that keeps you sober, it's what you do. That's not by taking the first drink, that's by getting a sponsor, that's by getting a home group, that's by going to a meeting every day, that's by getting into that program of Alcoholics Anonymous and the steps, and doing exactly opposite of what you want to do. And like I kept saying, what an order, I can't go through with it. But something was happening, uh, spiritual awakening, spiritual experience, and... Uh, you know, uh, we hear about God as you understand him, and quite frankly, I don't understand what God does, why he does, or how he does, but I've got a conception of God that keeps me sober. And that textbook tells me exactly where, when, why, and how to find a conception of God that keeps me sober, and what will happen. And like I said, uh, 
literally thousands of miracles that have happened, obviously, every day since I've been sober. That was July 10th of 1987. That is my sobriety date. I've had one sponsor and one home group since I came back to uh, the Akron area. I know that's kind of novel in itself, but, uh, you know, for me, that home group is the best home group in the world. And they said, if you don't feel that about yours, don't come to mine and louse it up. Stay in yours and make it the best one. And I tell you what, that home group loves me. Uh, what that home group has done for me is we've uh, married people, we've buried people, we've birthed people, we've cussed, we've cried, we've fought, we've laughed, we've been on our knees doing third steps, and that's a family within a family. But the first job interview I went out on, God uh, saw fit and, uh, you know, gave me this job, and I just celebrated uh, being there 15 years in March. And uh, that good job that I lost I thought would never be been, been replaced uh, was uh, replaced by a finer one. And why? Because God's got all the jobs. You know, um, I have a new employer, and that's God. What I do for a living is uh, what I do for a living, and that's it. Uh, you know, uh, uh, hopefully today uh, my money serves me. I don't serve my money. And uh, that's a, uh, I know today whatever I make, God will be God. If that's money, if that's sex, if that's power, if that's prestige, if it's any type of a material thing, it's going to be God. Whatever I deify, whatever I make, God will be God. And like I said, I was given a gift from that halfway house, and it's called the gift of desperation. And I've been willing to go any length from that point in time until now. And like I said, uh, God's just, uh, you know, like I said, I could never carry the message of Alcoholics Anonymous long enough, well enough, hard enough to tell you how good my life is. I will tell you about one story, though, that kind of really sums it all up, how powerful Alcoholics Anonymous and God is, is uh, my wife was ready to sign off on the last set of, of papers for our divorce. Uh, for some reason, I still don't know it together today, but we got back together and our marriage today has been better than it's ever been before. And uh, what I'm trying to say is that marriage was beyond any type of psychology, any type of religion, any type of group therapy, any type of uh, uh, psychology, any type of anything like that. It was God and Alcoholics Anonymous. And like I said, he can open up ears, he can open up minds, he can open up hearts, and he can shut mouths, mine too, you know, just a little bit. But the power of God runs deep. And like I said, Alcoholics Anonymous, the 12 steps, and God put that marriage together. And it's better than it's ever been before. And we just celebrated being married 26 years. And obviously, um, I do not deserve to be called her husband. I do not deserve to be in that household. I do not deserve to be in that house with those kids. And they were all young. The girls were uh, four or five, and the boys were seven and nine when I got sober. And I joke about it, and I said, Honey, you did a good job of raising five kids. She goes, What are you talking about? And I said, Those four and me, because I was the worst kid. But to show you how powerful Alcoholics Anonymous is, we had four teenagers in that house. Now listen to this, I didn't have to get drunk over that. Now that's some power, but when teenagers are teenagers and they start doing that, you know what that means, uh, I'll give you a little clue, anybody who may have an adolescent or coming up, is when they start being teenagers, instead of me getting involved and getting in their stuff, instead of sending them to their room, I sent myself to my room and it worked out a lot better because they got it worked out and I was able to stay sober. I joke about Alcoholics Anonymous, but Alcoholics Anonymous has turned my biggest problem into my... Biggest asset, and you know, we're living life today. And the gifts come from the giver, and you know, God's blessed us with a lot of material things, and that's all fine in Jim Danny, but those can go a lot quicker than they came. And uh, God's blessed us with, a, with us to be able to uh, uh, purchase a couple homes in sobriety, and uh, all four of the kids, believe it or not, went to college. And you can do the math if there's only five years difference, you can. Well, we're eating dog food to put these kids through school, but hey, I, God bless them. I got a. Uh, a lot of incentive to be sober. The oldest one uh, just uh, finished his police academy thing, and he's going to be a police officer. 
So if I get drunk, he'll arrest me for DWI. The second son, he's uh, down in physical therapy, and chances are I'd see him because the cop probably would beat me up after I got arrested for the DWI. Next one that's here today, she's majoring in psychology and sociology, and she's going towards the uh, alcohol field, so she'd counsel me. And the youngest one is in nutrition, and I'm sure I'd be nutrition. So like I said, I can't get away from them, but they're the neatest people in the world. And like I said, the resilience of the family due to God and Alcoholics Anonymous and 12 Steps, like I said, is just unbelievable. I'm going to close up here. Uh, time once again has gotten away from me, and I, I guess uh, it kind of uh, reminds me of a, a couple stories and, and, and sayings. You know, uh, when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, obviously I was dying, and uh, I know you've got to die in order to live, and it reminds me of the story about these three alcoholic rabbits, and one, one name was Foot, the other name was Foot, Foot, and the other one was Foot, Foot, and Foot. Anyhow, they were chronic alcoholics, and they were drinking every chance they could get. So it was a normal Saturday night, and they were at the tavern drinking, and Foot goes over to Foot, Foot, and Foot, and he goes, I ain't feeling too good, I'm going to go outside. And he goes out, and Foot, and Foot, and Foot, and Foot, we're drinking, and about an hour goes by, and I said, where did Foot go? Foot, and Foot goes to Foot, Foot, and Foot, I don't know, but we better go out and check on him. So lo and behold, they walk outside the bar, and all Foot, and he just, he drank himself to death, he's dead. Foot and foot goes to foot, foot and foot. And he goes, hey, we better go to AA. Foot, foot, foot goes to foot and foot. Why? And he goes, because we got one foot in the grave. So hey, uh, now, that's so where I was at. I had one foot in the grave, and I, my other foot was uh, on a banana peel getting ready to go. But like I said, with God, uh, all things are possible. Uh, God is good. God is great. And that is the message of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm going to close up. And you know what? Uh, I found out a, a phenomena, and they told me how important it was to get a sponsor and a home group. They said, don't forget, if you spend a lot of time with yourself, you're consulting an idiot. And that's why I need to go to a fellowship. That's why I need to go to a lot of meetings, because I need to have my thinking checked. And they said, your head's like a bad neighborhood. When you stay in there too long, sooner or later, you're going to end up getting into trouble. And there's no doubt about it. Like I said, my best thinking is what gets me in my worst trouble. I've always been my worst enemy, and I always will be. And, you know, the book talks about that, making decisions based on ourselves, which later put us in a position to be hurt. That's more so in my sobriety than even so when I'm drinking. Because whenever anything's going on out there, it's not out there, it's me. There are no problems and there are no trouble in life. There's only opportunities to grow. And how I know that is, if I let God be God, okay, let me be be, let you be you, okay, and let it unfold. Those are opportunities to grow, regardless of how the income or the outcome happens. When those opportunities grow, become problems, when I think I can do better than God, then I attack that opportunity to grow, which has turned into a problem. I attract that, attack that with self-will. Then that opportunity to grow has turned to a problem, and then it turns into trouble when I'm running the show. Therefore, my troubles are of my own making. And like I said, with God and Alcoholics Anonymous has turned my biggest problem and my biggest asset. That's me. I'm getting better in spite of myself today. How little do I know what I thought to be the biggest curse was to be an alcoholic has turned out to be the biggest blessing. Not only have I recovered from alcoholism, but I'm living a life that I never thought possible. Alcoholics Anonymous, like I said, in the big book in 12 Steps for me, has the answer to all my problems. And that's what he tells me in the book there. The answer to all my problems is God. And it ain't me. And, and you know, like I said, and I, I can't talk enough about the steps, the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and God. But, you know, the fellowship is an important part, too. I have a fellowship where I go to meetings where people know where I've been, know where I'm at, and know where I'm going. And that's a great and fine gym dandy thing, but if I'm going to treat my alcoholism by quitting drinking and sitting in a chair in Alcoholics Anonymous, I'm not going to get better. I'm going to get sicker. I need the program of action in Alcoholics Anonymous in the big book. That's where the program's at. 
Alcoholics Anonymous has taught me three things. The problem, the allergy, the obsession, the spiritual malady, powerlessness. Taught me that the solution to the powerless would be power, which would be God. And how do I get that? The 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I didn't know the deal. Problem, solution, plan of action. And that's why I said Alcoholics Anonymous has taught me how to live life on life's terms. Anyhow, I'm going to close up. And uh, time once again is... Uh, has gotten away from me, and I'm uh, going to close up with a, a couple stories. And it reminds me of this alcoholic who thought, oh, man, you know, the pour me, pour me a drink. And he had this big cross of alcoholism, and it was time. He says, man, i got to get rid of this cross. So he was carrying his cross down Main Street, and he looks up, and Joe's used cross shop. And he goes, ah, I'm going to trade this cross in. I'm going to get me a lighter one, a smaller one, and my life is going to be great. So he walks in. Joe's sitting behind the desk, and he says, ah, you're looking for a new cross, are you? And the kid goes, yeah, I am. He says, all right, go ahead and put your cross right over against the corner there, and you can go up and down. we got thousands of crosses, all different size, shape, models, whatever, and I'm sure you're going to find something that you like. That kid went up and down and sideways and everything like that, and he was looking at them. They were getting heavier. They were getting spiked. They were getting harder and so on and so forth. And just about when he was ready to give up, he looked in the corner and saw a real small styrofoam cross. And he goes, Joe, I want that cross. And Joe goes, oh, no, you can't have that, my son. That's the cross that you came in with. So whenever I'm starting to think, and I've got a cross to bear in life, my alcoholism isn't a cross, it is a blessing. Like I said, I don't know if things are good or bad when that happen. They just happen, and that's just the way it is. And it reminds me of a story, I know it's time to shut up, about this uh, lion and this bull that were uh, de- uh, deciding who was going to be the king of the jungle. And they were, for years, they were having this feud. So one time this lion decides, all right, I'm going to finally take care of this once and for all. He ambushed this bull and killed him and ate him up and all that. This lion was so happy, he roared out a, a big roar, and then all of a sudden he got shot by the great white hunter. And the moral of the story is, if I'm full of bull, I better shut up because somebody's going to shoot me down. It's time to go. It's time to go. And I'm going to uh, close up with, uh, uh, probably going to save everybody a lot of time, this thing called Positively Negative, and it goes like this. It goes, we drank for joy and became miserable. We drank for sociability and became argumentative. We drank for sufficient for sophistication and became obnoxious. We drank for friendship and made enemies. We drank for sleep and awake and exhausted. We drank for strength and felt weak. We drank to feel exhilaration and ended up depressed. We drank for medicinal purposes and acquired health problems. We drank to calm down and ended up with the shakes. We drank for confidence and became afraid. We drank to make conversation flow more easily and the words came out slurred and incoherent. We drank to diminish our problems and saw them multiply. We drank to feel heavenly and ended up feeling like hell. We we drank to cope with life and invited death. And this one old timer down in Akron taught me this one, and it's so appropriate. It says, I sought my soul, my soul I could not see. I sought my God, my God eluded me. I sought another alcoholic, I found all three. And I know I found out in order to get it all, I got to give it all. And like I said, you know, uh, A works if you work it, and one if you don't. And, uh, you know, like I said, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, I, I just can't put into words what it's done for me. And uh, a great saint said this one, the fruit of faith is love. The fruit of love is service. The fruit of service is peace. And these guys are putting on this uh, uh, conference today can certainly uh, uh, testify to that. And I got this one from uh, somebody uh, at church, and that's another whole story in itself for another day. But it's by somebody by the name of Anonymous, and it goes like this. I, I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given an inter- infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for the power of, <clears throat> that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but almost everything I hoped for, almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am among all men most richly blessed. And you know, an alcoholic of my sword who lost it all, the first thing I got back is my opinion. And if you hear me say, I think, you better run, because we're all going to get drunk. 
and I find out something that comes back after the alcoholic who loses everything. The first thing to get back is opinion, and then the next thing is the ego. And ego is not a bad thing. Every human being's got it. But what it is for the alcoholic, it's a conscious and subconscious separation from himself, from his fellow man, and from God. And that comes back in a lot of different ways. And that's why Bill constantly knew how we had to work on constant ego deflation at depth. And, you know, I thought all these things that were happening to me in life, I was a victim, and, you know, the poor me, poor me, and I found out I wasn't a victim. I actually was a volunteer, and... and it's uh, called Get Over It, and it goes like this. You drag it like a ball and chain, you wallow guilt, you wallow in pain. You wear it like a flag, got your mind in the gutter, trying to drag everybody down. Complain about the present and blame it on the past. I'd like to find your little inner child and kick his little ass. And like I said, like I said, my problems are mine. It isn't my childhood. It isn't whatever. I can stay as sick as I want as long as I rationalize and justify what I did and what I'm going to do. And I'm going to close up with the... Um, passage out of the big book that really says it all and it goes like this we realize we only know a little god will constantly disclose to you more to you and us ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who's still sick the answers will come if your own house is in order but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got see to them that your relationship is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others this is a great fact for us abandon yourself to god as you understand god admit your faults to him and your fellows clear away the wreckage of the past Give freely what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the happy road of destiny. May God bless and keep you till then. And you know, I find out a phenomena that uh, when my jawbones work and my eardrums don't work, so that means I've got to listen uh, twice as much as I talk. And you know, in that big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, I keep going back to that. He uses some pretty powerful words, obviously, where God needs no explanation, and he uses a word like 1,154 times. But a word that's as powerful or more powerful than that is the word if. And I know around the fellowship we hear about the 12 promises, but there's about 149 of them in no uncertain terms. He tells us if we do this, we'll get that. You call a promise, guarantee, result, whatever you want. I know it's in there. I know it works, and I've had them in my life. But I found out that word life, L-I-F-E. If I put what's in that book in my life, I am going to have a good, decent life. Thank you, Monroe, for having me. I've enjoyed it, and God bless you.